everybody and welcome to the Safety Conversation with SHP. My name is Mark Glover, I'm the editor at SHP and today's episode is on PPE, specifically around a campaign that uh, SHP is currently doing on inclusive PPE. Now, to be honest, I'm not really going to go into the reasons why we're doing this campaign because it's all rather self-explanatory. Hopefully you've been seeing some of the articles we've been publishing and and at the end of this podcast, I'll direct you to the campaign's mini site, which has just gone online. You'll be able to see more of the blogs and the content that, that we've got up that really sort of supports the initiative. But I think it's best really just to go straight into the guests because the guests that we've got on can really talk from a good point from it. And they'll, I know, do a good job in affirming why we everybody you guys listening why the sector while the verticals need to get behind the campaign i just say as well it's not just shp that's um getting behind this there are other stakeholders such as the ciob and other bodies and groups doing their own campaigns but but i think hopefully with with strengthening numbers and awareness we can make that change as i say across um, all of the verticals so joining me today on this special podcast i've got two major figures of this the first is katie robinson so katie is senior project manager at east riding of yorkshire council and she's also the national association of women in construction women in construction excuse me yorkshire campaign manager and has been pretty influential, I would say, when it comes to, to inclusive PPE, particularly in, in the construction sector. She's also a supporter of SHP. She's done a really important blog for us as well on, on the campaign. So I'm delighted that she's on the podcast with us today. So hi, Katie. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Very well. I'm very well. And, th- and thanks for coming on. Look forward to, to chatting with you in a bit about, about your achievements here. And also uh, alongside Katie, we've got Cole Simons, OBE, who's also online with us. Cole's currently at Field, a tech startup that uses AI to protect fuel workers. But his most recent move, which you might have seen, is actually to SHP alongside me, where he's chairman of the editorial board. And again, like Katie, is also a key part of, of the campaign. So hi, Cole. How are you doing? Hello, Mark. And hello, Katie. Fab. Fab. I'm great. And it's good to be on here today. Good stuff. Good to have you on. But Katie, if I may, I could swing back to you and we'll, we'll kick off with you. As I mentioned before, I alluded to you wrote a really good blog for us a couple of months ago when this campaign, I guess, was in its infancy for SHP anyway. And you shared, candidly shared some of your experiences around um, ill-fitting PPE. And I'll share the article below in, in the show notes. I, I thought that article did a really good job of, of sort of explaining why you're so passionate about it, why you're getting behind these campaigns. Are you able to just share some of your experiences and, and I guess how they fed into why you wanted to kick this off and why this issue is such an important issue to you and also so many other people. Yeah, of course. The campaign it was certainly not my idea. I do owe that to CIOB and their PP that fits campaign. Actually seeing their campaign when it first came out last year allowed me to reflect on my own experiences with PPE. It made me realise actually PPE isn't meant to be uncomfortable. It's not meant to cause blisters. It's not meant to limit your range of motion and things like that. It's meant to be personal and it's meant to protect the user. And I think actually seeing a professional body put an importance on it made me think, why isn't everyone else doing this? And it kind of made me realise actually how far behind we are. The products are out there. 
people aren't providing it. To me, it's a problem that's so big with such a simple, simple solution. Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't feel kind of protected when I was wearing men's safety boots. I came home pretty much every day with blistered feet. I used to do a fair bit of hiking back in the day, so I do know a well-fitting boot compared to (laughs) a poor-fitting one. But I never realised that actually safety boots had options for men and women. And I didn't actually realise that men and women's feet were kind of that much different until you kind of start looking into it. So much of the data around personal protective equipment and how it's designed is all based on very outdated information. It's actually based predominantly on average male military personnel, which certainly doesn't reflect average construction workers, but it also fails to take into consideration the diverse end users. So women, ethnic minorities, non-average size men, things like that. The campaign has been a real learning curve for me, to be honest, being able to speak Mm. to so many people across the industry and listen to their experiences, as well as undertaking my own research that I'm doing for an academic paper. Involves kind of like reading through all the legislation and things like that. And it's been fascinating looking through and it's genuinely something that I'm really passionate about. I'm not just doing it for a campaign. I'm not just doing it for a dissertation. Mm. It's something that I really do believe in. I've spoken to some people that are saying, oh, why are you fixing a problem that doesn't exist? My staff don't complain about this. But the literature and the research out there does show that there's such a problem across so many different industries, not just construction. Obviously, I work in construction, so I can only kind of speak on behalf of that. Yeah. But just dismissing the problem just makes it so much worse for those workers out there. I do think that the success of the campaign has definitely been the big motivator for me, seeing the difference that we've made and changing the attitudes around personal protective equipment. It just makes all the hard work so worth it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Katie, do you mind if I, like you said something there? Because you only got into it when the CIB did there, which was back in the summer, wasn't it, last year? Just what I find fascinating is that you you didn't know that there was, obviously you'd had bad fitting equipment and stuff and you come home with blisters, but that was, I guess, this is something that I've been seeing. I obviously see it from a different perspective, but you just thought, oh, it's just the way it is. There's no, I wouldn't even have thought to have tried and push through a body or, so, or something like that. You you just, oh, okay, that's there's a CIOB. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even know that women's PPE was a thing. When I saw the campaign, I thought originally it was campaigning to make women's PPE. And then when I actually looked on the website, I was like, oh, it's already here. And then I just simply Googled it. And I was like, how have I not known about this? I worked in the industry like six or seven years. And I didn't know yeah. about it. Even speaking to my colleagues, they had no idea. It could be down to a number of reasons, but I found through the campaign is that it is such a lack of awareness. There isn't really an issue with people being provided with it. There's no kind of kickback saying, oh, I don't want to provide my female staff with that. It's just that people don't know it exists, whether that's the mm. managers, the buyers, the employees themselves. Very, very few people know that these items are out there. Yeah, I think... From SHP's point of view, only that was when we went into it. It was more about it was that awareness, really. And, and I think it, as mentioned before, it kicked off from a reaction to a blog that we had, and that's how we felt. I am sure that awareness has now hopefully shot upwards. But as, as we'll come on to later, there is also efforts around in terms of making, I guess, that sort of more significant, not significant, but sort of uh, real change, if you like, legislatively as, as, as well. But I just wanted to ask, one of the real changes that you've actually made, Katie, quite quite recently was you had some great success lobbying the considerate constructors scheme so a big big sort of uh, body within the construction vertical and you've managed to successfully mandate to get mandated female ppa across all of their sites which is just amazing can you tell us more about that and how you managed to do it basically 
So for a bit of background, the Considerate Constructors Scheme is a non-profit accreditation in the construction industry. They aim to kind of promote best practice and support positive change in the construction industry. So actually their requirements are stuff that is maybe not in the legislation, it's above and beyond. So it is best practice and yeah. things like that. When we first kind of delved into the PPE campaign, I realised that it wasn't in the standard sufficiently. My first idea was, right, let's go to the Considerate Constructors Scheme. Another girl on our committee, Sinead Clarkson, worked with CCS, I think it was the year before, so maybe 2022, to mandate yeah. sanitary products and sanitary bins sure. on site. Yeah. So that was such a big difference that she made with that. And I was like, well, if they're open to something like that, then I imagine women's PP is something that they'd be open to as well. And I simply just dropped them an email and I just said, would you be open to discussing this? And they said that they'd actually spoken to a lot of their monitors who are like the auditors. Yeah, and they said yeah. that this had been something that had been picked up on a few visits. So they were originally thinking about it. But yeah. with the research we did as now at Yorkshire last year, that research really gave them the evidence that they needed to kind of be able to justify the change. So once we sent them yeah. that, they were really up for it and they were like, yes, absolutely. I helped them with the wording of the mandate and things yeah. like that. And it went live, I think, on the 1st of January this year. It was, so, wasn't such, it? Yeah. 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 Such a big, a big thing, not even just for sites that are not under the concept of constructors, but it was just such a good way of raising awareness. I know a lot of organisations kind of shared it and they didn't even realise that this had been an issue. So it's absolutely brilliant that kind of such a, a high level organisation yeah. in the industry did that and it was really encouraging other accreditations to essentially catch yeah. up and do the same. What's your goal now? It's to, as you just said, to get other accredited schemes to, to sort of take note. Yeah, definitely. So we're in communication with the vast majority of them. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of them can only kind of put in their accreditation what is in the law. And as inclusive PPE isn't specifically in the legally binding legislation, we can't do too much about it, but they can work with us to lobby it. So we're getting there. And it's certainly right. something that we're looking at doing with accreditations that have kind of like a best practice, like a gold standard. Yeah. And about kind of adding it into there as well. So the discussions are underway. We'll um, hopefully come on later with, with Cole when we talk about the legislation as well, because that, that's another pivotal, pivotal moment as well. So I touched on before and there are a few different campaigns that are taking place. So as you said, mentioned CIOB um, that focuses on construction, which I understand what they're doing there. One of the consultations is obviously around standards as well, and they're currently in consultation with the, with the BSI. But beyond beyond the lobbying and the regulation, what else do you, do you think needs to change? I know we say awareness, but is it around attitude perhaps? Because ultimately, you know, it's business case for some suppliers and manufacturers will just look at supply and demand and try to guard their bottom line. How can we get beyond that? I think the main issue there is, is that obviously PP stands for personal protective equipment. And it seems that we seem to be forgetting that it's personal. The whole system around PP needs to be sure. changed. And I think everyone needs to kind of play the part in changing the culture. It's something that not just me as an individual can change. As an industry, as a network, we need to place more importance and emphasis on PPE <clears throat> and ensuring that it yeah. does fit the user sufficiently. 
it's not just the end point of the risk assessment. It stands for so much more than that. And the HSE, Health and Safety Accreditations, auditors need to recognise and enforce that PPE should be suitably fitting because there's so many cases out there where men and women are being injured because of ill-fitting PPE. And it's something that's so easily avoidable. That's the really frustrating bit. Obviously, the legislation, the standards is kind of a separate part of the campaign that they need to be amended to essentially make it legally binding to make it enforceable. We always say well-fitting PPE and inclusive PPE should not be seen as the best practice. It should be the minimum standard. And until it is the minimum standard, then we're going to have a campaign to run and we're not going to stop until that's the case. It's worth noting that there are so many examples of organisations that are promoting inclusivity and safety. There's a lot of really innovative manufacturers who are making some really fantastic products. I see new stuff every day and it blows my mind how people can come up with these ideas and distributors seem to be catching up and they're actually stocking a lot of these items so people aren't having to go direct to a manufacturer to buy it. There's a long way to go, but we're definitely making very significant progress. I think especially over kind of what I've seen over the last six months, it's gone from something Mm. that kind of you only really heard of if you followed the campaigners. Mm. Whereas now I think it's something that you can't escape from. Most professional bodies know about it. A lot of them are publishing articles on it and things like that. Some are even jumping on the campaign as well. So it's an exciting time. Cole, you're now involved with SHP's campaign. I remember when we met up for coffee a bit before Christmas and as we do and just checking in with each other's uh, what what we're up to. And I sort of said, oh, this is we're thinking of doing this. And it was still sort of in, in its infancy from an editorial point of view, I guess. And I could see your brain whirring as I was talking to you. And I thought, ah, you, you, you. You know, he said, I wanted, let's try and do something. And you sort of wanted to be involved. I know the work, obviously, the work you've done around mental health in the workplace, which I want to touch on, actually. But what was it about the campaign sort of stuck out to you? And, and given your work you've done around mental health, why is it that you want to get involved? And that's a silly question, because why wouldn't you? But, but, but what was it? Well, it's really great listening to Katie, because when I look back at the history of how the evolution of that took place to where we are today, you know, there are so many similarities. We're talking over a decade ago now, um, you know, that we really, the term stigma started to arise. What we saw was, you know, people really facing challenges when they were facing struggles in their own work or home life. And whilst they were in work, if they raised the struggles that they were having, you know, they were called whistleblowers or troublemakers or even mentally unwell. You know, and, yeah. and it was it was a real alarming, some real alarming moments for me where, you know, I thought, right, OK, we need we need to start thinking and doing something about this. And it starts with setting out, you know, if you think about the way government works, you've got government and legislators, you know, that follows industry, what industry demands are, regardless of sector. And then that follows, industry follows companies and companies follow what the needs of the workforce are. So it starts Mm. with the workforce. So I think if organisations can set out, what we did back then was set out the very clear strategy within the company that I was working for, I was leading Thames Water, 
the time and we set out you know what we're going to do around mental and physical health within the workplace and specifically on mental health and well-being at work so we set out a very clear strategy which is embraced by the executive and the main board and it featured within it you know uh, some of the real key performance indicators we call health performance indicators of what the company needed to do to make sure this happened we then engaged the supply chain you know uh, because two-thirds of our business was delivered by a supply chain partner so it's not just about the employees how do you create an organizational culture where anybody who works for and on your behalf is exposed to the same level of care attention support education as it would be uh, if it was your own employee. So that was really important. Um, then we started to create a learning culture. And by that, I mean, we started to do competency upskilling. Katie spoke at length there about awareness training. You know, mm -hmm. we introduced things like the half day awareness training around mental health. We introduced mental health first aiders across the organization which is now commonplace across many, many organizations. And we started to do things like communicate in a different way. So we started to harvest and capture and share illustrative stories from people who had lived experience. And this is really big because this is what Katie and others like her at the minute campaigning around the inclusive PP are doing. They're sharing those illustrative stories of their own yeah. personal experiences. That started to really resonate because people were then saying, oh, it's not just me, you know, because we're talking large organizations, small organizations, suddenly starting to see that, wow, I'm not alone in this. And it, it does spark me when we start thinking about, you know, the post office. Am I alone? Is this just affecting me? Mm. It's not. There's always others, right? And then we started to use things like social media for good to share the messaging and make sure people, you know, people like the stories and therefore it fueled that appetite for people to share more. All this was happening, which culminated ultimately in a start to then talk, take what we had learned and what we had done, because remember, we started to get five times as many mental health first aid interventions as physical first aid interventions. So therefore, there was five times more people affected by mental health than there was a physical health. So therefore, yeah. we started to approach um, government. I worked with organizations similar to what Katie's been talking about. We worked there with Mental Health First Aid England and we worked with the health and safety executive. We brought together um, under Theresa May, we brought the cabinet office down to the Thameswater headquarters and started to educate them around here's what we're doing and here's the challenges, but also here's the impact it's having within the organization and with those wider. Uh, subsequently, I mean, we started then to share that with, I mean, uh, hundreds of organizations, the work that we were doing around this, and therefore it started to lift the lid. That was in just, you know, around about 2012 to 14, 15. And then if you think what happened after that, you're talking yeah. um, royals, sports personalities, celebrities started sharing uh, their, their own uh, mental health stories um, and lived experience stories. Now, you know, uh, that in turn affected society, societies in work. So therefore, the movement was created that ultimately has led to now fast forward to where we are today. There's very yeah. few, uh, you know, I haven't seen an organization for many years now that doesn't take mental health at work seriously and doesn't have policies and support networks in place. So there's some real great stuff as a result of, you mean, just over a decade where you can really have tangible change, Mark. Yeah, good stuff, Cole. And in terms of what we're trying to do with this campaign as well, because it does, you know, there are similarities but as you were talking there do you think it's going to struggle 
because mental health was a bit everyone talks about mental health now and well-being and it, and it was perhaps there was a sweet spot at the time that that you guys managed to tap into do you think that might be a challenge with what you're trying to do as as we take it forward and actually let me just touch on what you want to do ultimately you would like to do the same approach to try and change what katie was talking about that the the legislation or the guidance to be able to have that through hse and within the guidance and ultimately legislation i know that takes a bit of time but it gets the ball rolling so that is that that's what you want to do I think it's capitalising on the work that's already being done by so many great organisations, institutions and lived experience speakers and campaigners like Katie. I think it's yeah. fabulous to see this because, you know, there's so many similarities, Mark, in, in what's mm. gone on with uh, the, the mental health member. It was, you know, it, had we not had all that rising movement, there wouldn't be what we have today in work. Yeah, So it's go I have no doubt we will have the same level of impact that you know that we're, we're talking about now right um but yeah. there's several steps that we do need to go through and if you think about how we accelerate the work that's being done right now right so the continue we need to continue with the lived experience speakers so you know that needs to keep going and the more they share it and the more people that like it the more people will actually come to the table and start sharing their own personal lived experience uh, Katie mentioned the manufacturers there and the distributors. Yeah. The distributors are massively important because you've got lots of specific manufacturers and so many different, not just, you know, you've got protective equipment, but also you've got your, your workwear that people wear every day that's got to be comfortable, it's got to be the right fit. And there's, there's so much involved in this. And if I look back at some of the work we did in the early days when I, I was with Thames for circa a decade, and in the early, we tackled mm. some of these challenges and created a PPE catalogue because, you know, it's very important that as much as your procurement, your buyers, your your teams there, they, their job is to get the best price personal protective equipment and work where they can for the business, right? To be sustainable. Yeah. But ultimately, those who set the standard, which is often the health and safety team, um, set years the requirements that should be in place as to the specific standards that we expect, because they're the technical specialists in the safety arena. It's very important that that balance in and that relationship needs to work symbiotic. So, for instance, what the, to give you that tangible experience, my team yeah. within the health and safety team created the catalog, the actual standards that need to be put in place. Then the procurement team looked for the cheapest and the best equipment for that price they could get, the most cost-effective price, I should say. So ultimately, yeah. the standards are really important. So working with the manufacturers, we did some great work. You know, we developed a specific PPE catalogue, which had in it gender-specific PPE that was within it for all sorts of equipment, from workwear, boots, equipment, to glasses, helmets, everything, to fit all our female population within the company. And that was really important, right? So that all existed at the time and still does today within Thames Water, that people can get access to this support. But I think there's the next bit is, is equally important, that the sharing externally around the buyers, procurement teams, commercial teams, and sharing that message out with, and that's what Katie and some of the campaigners are doing really really well at the minute the education is massively important and i think this is 
great that we're having this conversation today because SHP mm. can really, it has a voice towards over a half a million readers. I mean, and people who will listen to this and actually can have, you know, that wider impact to say, oh, right, this exists. Where, where do I go for this? How do I speak to these people that have done this and actually going through it right now? Um, so I think the education on the, the social selling side, but also the education of the health and safety community, which is what largely we're doing today. How do we send that message outwards? The final bit you touched upon was uh, around government. Now, yeah. I said earlier that, you know, government follows industry, which follows companies, which follow the workers' needs within it. That's really important, that stepped process. I think we've got great movement circulating at the minute and starting to, I've already written to the government and I think the next steps we will see now is, you know, us really starting to take the lobbying across to the some of the government departments and actually working in partnership. When I look back at the mental health side, you know, I sat in a room with three of the leading health and safety executive specialists uh, around mental health. Um, and there were several, there was myself and the chief chairman of um, Mental Health First in England. And we co-created and looked at what were the wording that was going to go into the mental health at work guidance document that all companies would work to. And out of that outcome became, you know, specifically around mental health provision for training, information, how managers and employees need to be educated, how occupational health professionals need yep. to be involved, and the employee support process. It is no different. How do we talk to the government departments that end up shaping the guidance documents that interpret legislation? And I think some of the MPs and Lords can actually then actually listen to this and actually have conversations and help with actually our, our plight in terms of getting the outcomes that we want. So more to come on this as we move forward, yep. um, but yep. uh, it's really exciting times. Brilliant. Thank you, Cole. We're coming towards the end now, unfortunately. Katie, I'm going to swing back to you and I want to ask you a question, which is hopefully when, if there there will be change. And uh, given the how much you've been involved and obviously the the uh, see the passion you have for it, what would it mean if there was change? What, what would it mean to you? Well, first, like, I am certain that there will be change, I think, yeah. legally and culturally. I think the culture change is possibly the most important part. Law changes can take years, but the culture is something that we can actively promote and do something about now. And I think it's just such a brilliant opportunity, especially for the construction industry, an industry that has such a bad name sometimes. Mm-hmm. If we could lead this campaign as an industry and be the ones that made inclusive PPE the thing in the law, made it so all these other industries could benefit from it, all these other people could benefit from it, that would be such a good thing because construction is so hard to get people into anyway because it's seen as not inclusive, not diverse, when it actually is. And I think something mm. as simple as inclusive PPE is something that's going to help encourage people into the industry. It's going to retain people and it's going to give the industry such a good name. And I think it's not just kind of a personal achievement when we get there. It's no. an achievement for the whole industry, for everyone involved, all the campaigners. And ultimately, it's for the better of health and safety. It's for the better of the workers. I don't know what the argument is against it, to be honest. Yeah, no. When I speak to my 
friends and I say about what we usually not, not, not my majority of the time but I'll sort of speak about health and safety and they're, and they're polite but well, talking about this topic with my friends it's uh, it's just seen as a no-brainer everyone seems to get it and my family and stuff and I think as you say that it almost seems why it, it just seems stupid it has, it's not happening so but listen Katie thanks so much for coming on really appreciate it and um, we'll obviously keep in touch with you throughout the, throughout the next couple of months or so as things take off but as you say you know people do want to reach out or if they, they're interested in getting involved can people get in touch with yourself is that is what's the best way linkedin or something like that yeah of course i'm always active on my linkedin profile so that's just kate robinson providing campaign updates and things like that we have just launched our dedicated instagram too which is at the ppe campaign mm. so if you want to kind of follow along on that that'd be great Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you what, I'll put it on the again, we'll link to that in the, the show notes as well below so people can uh, can reach out. But good stuff. Thanks for coming on, Katie. We appreciate it. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, and Carl, thanks. Thanks for coming on as well. We appreciate it. I'm sure obviously we'll be seeing a bit more of you this year, both on the editorial board and, and, and this campaign. But if people have got the same question, if people want to reach out to you, is it, is it best on, on LinkedIn? Yeah, sure. I'm I'm on there. That's fine. Mark. I think uh, one thing I would say is a parting shot. You know, we're cre- sure. one of the big things in the outcomes of what we want to achieve is to be able to recognise those organisations um, in terms of manufacturers and distributors who are supplying diverse and inclusive PPE. So yeah. if you are one of those manufacturers or suppliers, then please drop me a note because we're creating a list that we want to create and share with uh, the likes of government, but also everybody else that uh, will benefit from knowing that your organisation provides those services. I think that's massively important because as Katie said earlier, one of the challenges we face at the minute is people don't know what they don't know. And if we can prompt and post and promote the fact of, hey, this organization supplies female gloves, female trousers, female footwear, female headset, you know, or um, religious ethnicity, diverse clothing, or whatever it may be. If your organization does that and you're a manufacturer or supplier, please drop me a note and let's let's um, make sure you're on that list. Brilliant. Yes, echo that, Carl. So they do, do get in touch and um, a good place to end. Thanks very much, Carl, and speak to you soon. Thank you. So, yeah, I've come to the end now. So it's pretty important stuff, this. And I hope all of you who have been listening have perhaps been made a bit more aware yourself of, of, of what's going on and want to get involved. If you do, we've got just launched our new dedicated hub page for, for the campaign, as I've mentioned before. Uh, so alongside the blogs and, and the content, there are details about how to get involved. As I said, you can also check in with myself directly or Katie and Carl, who have kindly given their, their LinkedIn there. So, but yeah, do reach out, get involved and keep an eye on the site as we progress and endeavour to to hopefully really uh, make some change. So just to wrap up more generally on, on the podcast, if you're new to the Safety Conversation podcast, please do go back and check out our previous episodes. We've got a big archive of, of episodes covering most things in, in health and safety. Um, and if you do like what you can hear, you can follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And apparently marketing tell me we're on smart speakers. So just say to your smart speaker, play the Safety Conversation. Really grateful if you can rate us and comment on your chosen platform as that will help us get shows out to a wider audience finally do stay tuned in to shponline.co.uk for the latest health and safety news uh, you can also sign up for our bi-weekly e-newsletter as well thanks so much for listening and look forward to having you on the next episode take care